she is just a very important like female character I think in general when you just look at shows right I can't really relate to her because I think she operates on delusion and I don't know I mean I guess it's good to be delusional you know it gets you places sometimes (laughs) yeah I, for one, hope you are doing phenomenal. I'm your host, Jalen, and welcome back to Retrospection Connection, where we take a more critical look back at TV and movies that left our mark on us in a formative moment of our lives. Allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media. Long ago, in the late 1900s, the world changed forever when a new human classification system dropped. All of a sudden, everyone had to know, were they a carry? a Samantha, a Miranda, or a Charlotte. That's right. Today's piece of media is none other than the 1998 HBO juggernaut, Sex and the City. This episode holds an extra special place in my heart, not only because it allowed me to channel my inner New Yorker, manifesting a move sooner or later, but also because of today's guest, fellow pop culture fanatic, and my friend, Carolina. I'll let you all in on a retrospection connection behind the scenes scoop, Carolina and I have actually recorded this episode twice. The audio got really messed up the first time around, though, and had to be scrapped. So I send a doubly sincere thank you to Carolina for gracing us with her presence on two occasions, at least technically. In this episode, we engage in a deep dive of sorts into friendship, romance, and personal development, both in the context of Sex and the City and our own experiences as so-called adults. Without further ado, be sure to grab your favorite mixed drink or mocktail and listen in on our conversation. Of course, follow Retrospection Connection on Instagram at Retrospection Connection and share which one of the SATC girls you are while you're at it. I hope you enjoy. Why, hello there, everyone. I am joined by... One of my good old friends, and interestingly enough, someone who has actually been on this show before, but through some of the universe's machinations, we did not end up getting our episode out to the masses, but they are so gracious that they decided that they would be able to come on to the show again, and I'm so excited to have them on for real this time, and I'll allow them to introduce themselves, talk a little bit about how we met each other. And also, since we're recording this in the new year, I don't know when exactly this will get out, but I want to hear maybe one of your New Year's resolutions or things that you're wanting to set an intention for in the new year. All right. Well, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yes. My name is Carolina. I met Jalen when we were both working for like an orientation program at UCLA. And I love that question. I am a huge believer of like New Year resolutions. So For me, a huge one was just getting back into like fitness. I think I had like gotten into it the last half of the year, but I think going into the new year, I feel like I'm really motivated to like 
just continue to put that into like my everyday routine. It just feels nice on the body. And I think as I get older, I think I've started to care holistically about my health. So that is something that in prior years, I feel like it was kind of lacking. And incorporating it in the last half of 2023, I think it just really reinforced that it's something that I really just want to be like consistent in. So that's like one of my New Year resolutions. No, I, I feel that. I think like that's arguably like the most common of the resolutions, right? Like everybody has their own take on it because I think we all have our own relationship to fitness and wellness and all that sort of stuff. But I really admire that. I'm wondering like what's something that you're maybe looking to instill now this time around? Because I think, like I said, we've all had a fitness related New Year's resolution at some point. So like what feels different now for you? I think for me, just getting into like actually like lifting. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've never in my life had incorporated like weight training and I was just recently introduced to it and I love it. I think it just makes you feel like so strong. I think you can very easily break a sweat. I'm also a huge fan of Pilates. So I think for me, like being consistent in those two elements of types of exercise are like what I'm like super excited about. Going into like this first week, I'm like, yeah, it feels good and I want to continue, you know? Yeah, no, I'm super supportive of you. I think you're absolutely going to meet your goals and, and as time goes on, redefine those goals too. Because I think at least for me, one of the reasons why I kind of struggle with New Year's resolutions is that like the person you are in January doesn't necessarily align with the person you are even like in April or, you know, September. And so like sometimes I struggle with that pressure that I put on myself to like adhere to the same goal that I set nine, 10 months ago. And so I don't know. I hope for both of us that whatever goals or intentions we do set, we we stick with them and, and figure out ways to modify them based on where we're at in that present moment. I love that. Because sometimes I think you get to in your head and your goals are way too big. And I think it's really important to like be kind to yourself and modify them based on like what's going on in your life. So I definitely am really inspired by that. Can I ask what is like, do you have any goals? Like, do you believe in resolutions? I do believe in, I guess, just more broadly setting goals. I think that like, I'm always something of like a growth oriented person. So like the new year does offer a good clean slate vibe, right? So that you can just like come in fresh and just like start something new. But I, I kind of do that any time of the year. But I'll right. say like towards the end of the year, one of my thoughts that was circling my head a lot or, or just intentions that I wanted to set for the new year was just like setting more boundaries, especially as it relates to like my time and my availability. I think that in the past, I've been very self-conscious about like how willing I am to like, you know, provide my energy or my time. And not that that's a bad thing, but like, I think I was giving a lot and I wasn't really putting much into myself. The time yeah. that I have, the energy that I have, I was like projecting a lot of that out externally. Like, for example, when you're at work, that's work time. Right. But like in my mind, I was like, oh, I can like shoot a few texts out here and there. You know what I mean? But other people wouldn't necessarily do that. And that's actually OK. And, and maybe it's about like setting that boundary for this is work time. And then when it's not work time, I'll make time for other things. Right. So that's kind of where my mind is at right now. Just wanting to have like more clear boundaries and being present in those moments, focusing on other stuff when there's a 
set time for that. Just going to add time is precious. Time sometimes feels like it's the only thing we have. So cherishing it, always, always on the hunt to be better about that. Absolutely. It's so finite. And yeah, trying to just make the most of it and be proud of the way that I use it. So yeah, wish me luck there. But I mean, you're kind of a pro at this. You've done this before. I'm going to ask you the same question. And it's been a little while. So I'm, I'm curious as to whether your thoughts on it have changed or you've considered it a little bit more now. How would you describe your relationship to popular culture and popular media growing up? First of all, I love that question. I think for me growing up, when I think of like media consumption, I think I was definitely inspired a lot by my older sister. Growing up, you know, we didn't have cable. So I think that was a huge point of like emphasis for me because I didn't have access to like these popular shows that maybe my generation grew up in. I was very much a PBS girl and you know, like shows that would come on were on non-cable channels. So when I think of my media consumption, I think about that. So I would kind of just watch a lot of what like my sister would watch and I would then make my own opinion if I like liked it or not. Another huge part of like media consumption growing up for me was my sister was a huge like magazine subscription person. Like wow. I think that is something that I still carry with me. I subscribe to like physical magazines, whether it's like wow. women's health or like fashion. I love it. I don't like online like magazines. I love a physical copy of things. So I think for me those are like the two kind of like elements of growing up that like I think really influenced like how I consume media to this day and I think with actual like shows and movies because we have all these streaming platforms that really changed the game for me in terms of like access because before like, like sure I had YouTube but like what can you really watch on YouTube right. I think it's gotten better over time but with streaming platforms I think it just broadened my view on like movies and shows and stuff like that so I take things from me you know from the past that I like still carry on to this day but I think I'm not stuck in that same place of like no access to like certain types of shows because I don't have cable you know right absolutely and I I think all that is so fascinating firstly I love your appreciation for physical media and I, I think that unfortunately it's just something that is dwindling day by day, right? Because everything is moved yeah. over to streaming or some sort of online archival of it. And there's positives to that. I try to see the, the positives in it, but it is like heartbreaking too, because there's so many pieces of media that are disappearing right now because of that. So I don't know, I'm thinking about that. And I think it's super cool that you still get physical magazines. I love it because I love to collage as well, both mm -hmm. digitally and physically. But physically, I think when you have like an actual like physical subscription to a magazine, it's just so fun to like have material to work with. And yeah. it's so cheap, honestly, like a magazine subscription is very inexpensive. But mm -hmm. that being said, because I have such a appreciation for it, I also do like to thrift old like magazines because I'm so intrigued by the content in them because it's so different. But yeah, I, I definitely I think that's something that from my like my childhood like that hasn't changed. And I don't think it will change because I'm a huge fan and I hope print still stays, you know. I, I think it will. And I'm hoping it goes the direction of something like vinyl, where it's like, 
there's kind of this niche appreciation for it and it's kind of coming back a little bit. Of course, it won't be as prevalent as it was when like vinyl was the main way to consume music. But like, I'm hoping that magazines kind of come back in that sort of way too. And there's still physical places where you can go get the New York Times or go get a magazine or something like that. So it exists. But I also was really taken in by what you were saying about really only being able to watch non-cable TV because I think for all ages, but especially for kids, like that's really the first time that we start to bond over shared media. So I, I think it's interesting that like you didn't have maybe that same experience growing up. And so it's cool because now we're on a show like Retrospection Connection, being able to have shared experiences with media, but that wasn't always your experience. Talk with me about that a little bit. A perfect example is SpongeBob. I feel mm -hmm. like every person, and you yourself, right? You did a podcast on SpongeBob. Love yeah. that episode, by the way. For me, listening to that, it was like, wow, I'm learning so much because that's a show that, again, it was on cable. It was on cartoon. Nickelodeon, right? Yeah, not Cartoon Network. <laughs> and I feel like so many kids my age really love SpongeBob. And growing up, it was always something that I feel like people talked about. And I always was like, I don't know what that is. And I think because of that, to this day, like I don't understand certain references, even though they're so popular. That's a show that's like on my mind when you ask me that question, because it's such a, I think, very important show for like our generation. I, I just can't contribute to the conversation because I didn't have access to it. You know, that's just one of many shows. And I think having streaming and accessing that like as I was graduating like high school going into college I definitely feel like I've participated more in like discourse on various different shows that are either live that are streaming on you know Netflix or anything like that or older shows such as Sex in the City that I now have access to to watch. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm super excited to be able to have this shared experience with you. It seems like you've definitely caught up to speed in terms of like being able to have these sorts of engaging conversations about TV and yeah. movies. So I don't think you miss much, to be honest. All right. Well, with all of that being said and done, I think this is a good entry point into talking about Sex in the City. I really do want to talk about your relationship to the show and, and where you see yourself within some of these characters and the concepts that show up there. Before we do that, though, I'd like to give a basic premise for every show or movie that I talk about just to catch folks up, especially if they haven't seen any of this piece of media. All right, so I'll start. Set in New York City. The series follows the lives of four women, three in their mid-30s and one in her 40s, who, despite their different natures and ever-changing sex lives, remain inseparable and confide in each other. The series had multiple continuing storylines that tackled relevant and modern social issues such as sexuality, safe sex, promiscuity, and femininity, while exploring the difference between friendships and romantic relationships. The show's protagonist, Carrie Bradshaw, narrates the series, which follows the better portion of the four women's early lives. It was the writer's way of analyzing social life, from sex to relationships, through each of their four very diverse individual views. Now that was a mouthful. Oh, I need a breath. Whew. With that being said, we're here to talk about your personal connection to the show. So first, I want to ask you, did this feel like a proper summation of what Sex and the City has to offer? Is there anything like glaringly missing from what we just spoke about? Talk to me about that. I think it's such an accurate description of the show. Wow. 
Like whoever wrote that, A+. It perfectly encapsulates what the show is about without giving away like too many like little details. So love the description. I think it's perfect for someone that's like interested in the show, doesn't really know what it's about. You read it, you kind of have somewhat of a picture of like what it's about. Yeah, I think it's super accurate. For sure. Well, well, now I'm curious, why are we talking about this show in particular? Not judging it. I, I love this show. I'll, I'll fully put that out there. And I was super excited when we got to talking about potentially doing an episode on this. You talked about your relationship to media growing up and not necessarily being like in the loop on certain shows, but you eventually found this cultural phenomenon and it really seemed to have a connection for you. So talk to me about how you found it, why it's resonated with you for so long now, and and yeah, what your relationship is with the show now. I'm very influenced by my sister. Like I really do take her recommendations. So this was a show that she recommended to me. I have always known about this show. I don't know about you, Jalen, but for me growing up, just being like someone that likes pop culture... I always knew about Sex and the City, and I knew about Sarah Jessica Parker, I knew about Carrie Bradshaw, didn't really know like the specifics of the show, but I did know that it was such an iconic show because what the contents of the show were for the time, it wasn't something that was very common in the media. So I always just knew that about Sex and the City in general. So I took my sister's recommendation to watch it. I stumbled upon it my senior year of college. So that was 2021. I remember it was spring quarter and I already, you know, had my full-time job lined up. I was taking one course. Like I was very much in a chill, like I'm done with school. Let me binge watch this show. I watched it in like four days. I was obsessed from the get-go I was just so enthralled by everything about the show the city the characters their plot lines the aspirational elements of their lives and their you know their fictional characters right but there was so much of like who they were that was so relatable to me even though I'm not their age I don't live in New York City I'm not a white woman things like that I think it's able to transcend those things for me because once you get past all of that the things that they experience as characters are things that I've experienced or things that my friends have experienced or like family members so for me it was just like an immediate like wow like I love this show I've rewatched it so many times and every time I rewatch it I never get tired of it and I just kind of gain more of a deeper appreciation for the show it's just one of those like comfort shows for me. It's, I can just go back in time and like fondly like reminisce about the first time that I watched it every single time. So, wow. I mean, I see you light up as you talk about the show and like that shows me more than anything else, just how much this show means to you. And, and it makes me all the more excited to be talking about it with you. But I love that for both of us, this is a show that we didn't really grow up with. Like it wasn't on when we were, I mean, we were alive, but we weren't really tuning in. I hope not. That would be wildly inappropriate. <laughs> um, but but it is something that our generation nonetheless was aware of. Like it was in the pop culture landscape. The characters and some of the most memorable storylines are very commonly just discussed and employed in regular everyday life. You know, we were talking about 
just very recently, like, oh, which one of the main four characters do you resonate most with? For folks that even haven't watched the show, like they have a general idea of like, okay, maybe I'm this character because I'm this way or whatever, right? So I think that that's super cool. And with, I guess, that being said, do you want to give us a quick summation of like the main four characters? Because I think that'll give the audience a good template for a lot of the other conversation that we have. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who haven't watched Sex in the City, there's four characters. The main character would be Carrie Bradshaw. Like Jalen mentioned a little bit earlier, she narrates the show. She is a columnist. She has a sex column in New York City. She lives in Manhattan. She has a very like spunky personality and she's very fashionable. That's definitely something that is very characteristic of her. And she writes in her column about relationships and sex and it's very personal because it's about her own experiences but also the experiences of like her friends so we have samantha jones she is very fiery very confident she is kind of like a pr mogul in new york city she runs her own pr firm she's very girl boss in a way and she is very characterized by the fact that she's very open about her sex life which at the time was very very controversial. So that's Samantha Jones. And then we have Miranda Hobbs. She is very much an A-type go-getter personality. She's a corporate lawyer. And she's always like trying to find the balance between her job, but also being like a woman and experiencing all there is to, you know, experience in that whole aspect. And then we have lastly, but not least, Charlotte York. Charlotte York, she's an art curator, gallery person. She's more classic and traditional in like how she approaches dating and her philosophy. She's very much the romantic of the group. So those are the four characters of the show. And I think together they bring a lot of really fun plot lines and really great lessons to the show. What an apt and, and just, I think, perfect summary of each of the characters. And I think you're absolutely right in that the really special thing about Sex and the City, at least to me, but I'd argue to a lot of the fans, is what they bring to the table as a unit. And I think they are sort of like four corners of a, a necessary combination of characters. And so I think that's where I'd like to start the conversation. One of the main focal points of the show being their friendship as a foursome and also their interfriendships between that group of four. So how do you think that this is a lofty question? How do you feel like the show tackled the theme of friendship and, and how it represented the relationships between the four main characters? I think for me, as someone that values friendship, you have to water your friendships in order for them to work. And what you see in Sex and the City is just that. These are women in their mid-30s, which I think is very unique. To have a group of like middle-aged women, you know, in New York City, watering their friendships and going through the wildness that is life, so relatable. They're very different, right? They have different personalities. They have different things that they want out of life, but they together with each other but also sometimes without each other when when it's necessary they find ways to support each other in 
every like chapter of their life. And these women go through wild things, having children, right? Wild relationships, cheating, financial stresses, so many things that we as human beings we go through. And I think these characters find ways to show up for each other when they you know, need help or when they're, you know, making a very difficult decision for themselves or for their partner, whatever the case may be, you can argue based on character who does it more like sure, right? But each character, you cannot deny that they show up for each other. And I think it's a very special thing because as women, we're really taught to not see each other as women that can truly support one another. We're really much raised to see each other as like competition. So it is really nice to see that element, especially amongst middle-aged women, because I think there's this narrative in our society where as you get older, your friends just kind of fall off. So-and-so this, and they can't meet up for dinner and like all this stuff, right? Which is true to a certain extent, But what you see is these women making the time for each other in their busy everyday life to show up for each other and just be present. So I think that element of friendship in Sex and the City is like really cool to me. And I think as I get older, it it kind of like speaks to me more because I have to make sure that I'm watering my friendships because I care about them. Right. And as you get older, naturally, it does get more difficult, but you can find a way. I completely agree. And I I think you're right that regardless of their status in life or or where they were at, what they were dealing with in that particular moment, the one constant throughout all of that was their friendship and returning to each other. And it wasn't perfect, of course, and we can get into some of the imperfections that we, we both recall from the show, but they had a commitment to each other. And I think it provided a cool framework for how we can try to navigate our own friendships and our own relationships. And I think it was like cool to see how throughout each of the different characters, like romantic experiences, how like those sorts of situations could kind of come and go. And we do see the characters like settle into some romantic dynamics over time. But Like, I think that's very true to life. She's dating someone right now. He's dating someone right now. Like, we love that for them. And we hope that it lasts, right? We hope that it sticks around for a long time. But like, one thing that we usually can count on is that, you know, if this does go away, I have my friend here that will be there to support me, you know, just like be around despite that. And and I liked that running theme throughout the show that regardless of which guy came into their life and left, Carrie, Charlotte. Miranda and Samantha were always there for each other. And I wanted to ask you, you talked a little bit about like watering your friendships. How do you do that? Especially like as an adult, we have such finite time, like we were saying, what does that look like for you in 2024? I think for me, it's really about like intention, planning things out, right? You have to have a sense of like understanding that all your friends, we love each other, we want to water these friendships, you know, that's how it should be, right? Like, it shouldn't be one sided at all. But I think for me, it's key to like, plan in advance and like really put things in my planner and be really mindful about that. Because it's so easy to like, forget to text back or like, forget to um, sync on like, what date works for everybody. So for me, it's really about physically like putting things in my calendar so that I don't forget and that it's not like, 
a faraway thought because I think time goes fast for me, especially as I'm getting older. But it's also about making plans, right? Like taking the initiative, like everyone in the group to like make plans. And it doesn't always have to be like a special occasion. It's like, hey, like let's have, you know, me and my friends, we have like a monthly game night and we alternate like who hosts it. So it's like also making traditions for yourself and really valuing the time that you spend with each other and just being really intentional about it. And also having some forgiveness and grace. Sometimes things fall through and it's not because someone doesn't want to hang out with you. It's just like life gets in the way and it gets complicated sometimes. And knowing that that's not like a personal take or stab at you, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's probably like one of the biggest takeaways I've had about like adult friendships and adult relationships is like detaching from this is a personal affront to me, right? Like the reality is like people just have stuff going on and sometimes it has to do with you and you got to use your discernment to like know when to check in on that. But like, yeah, a lot of times it's like, I'm just not perfect. And this is like one of a million things that I'm thinking about, but I am thinking about it. And this is still a priority for me. And like that being the thing that you remember. But I, I love that. And I love that you guys have game nights and, and you make those things important because I, I really think that they are. Do you have a favorite friendship moment from Sex in the City that you look back on semi-regularly and is a good gauge of, of the friendship between the girls? Oh, I love this question, Jalen. I think one moment that really like strikes me as like, wow, is the episode where Miranda gets pregnant, right? And at the same time, her friend Charlotte is trying to get pregnant. She really wants a baby, but unfortunately, she's riddled with fertility issues. So she comes into like, you know, their everyday like breakfast that they have together and is complaining about it, how she feels so frustrated. And then Miranda just has this news like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And at the time she was thinking like, oh, I'm going to get an abortion. Right. And Charlotte, it just feels so like, you know, personally attacked. Right. She's very emotional at the time. And she's like, she doesn't want a baby, but she can get pregnant. And she's trying so hard, right, to have a baby. And it's just not working out for her. And ultimately, Miranda contemplates this abortion, right? And she doesn't end up going through with it. And at the very end of the episode, Charlotte shows up to Miranda's apartment. Carrie's there. Samantha's there to support her, right? That's when Charlotte ultimately ends up learning that Miranda is going to keep the baby and you just see Charlotte like light up she's just like wow we're gonna have a baby and I think it just shows how at the time yes she might have felt personally like attacked or like just felt like very vulnerable but she was able to process it on her own and just be there for her friend that's gonna have this baby even though you know she herself really wants one and I think it was just like a beautiful moment because you see Carrie there supporting Miranda Samantha as well so I think it was just like a beautiful moment it really sticks out to me because it's so natural to feel that way especially in moments where you're having a tough time and she's able to like get past that to support her friend it's just very like real to me and I just love that moment in general that is a really beautiful moment and to your point the show captures really well what it can look like to be sort of like in different seasons with your friendships and being like yeah I'm kind of struggling right now but this other friend has this really great opportunity and and so what does that look like honoring yourself and how you're feeling and acknowledging that yeah I'm not in a great place but like summoning the the energy and and the 
excitement to be happy for that person that you love and that you care about. It, it is very hard, but it's possible. And I wanted to ask you, how has it been for you navigating those sorts of like ebbs and flows in your personal friendships, right? Because we don't always stay as close to people that, that we are, we're at one point close with. And in other ways, we get closer to those people again. And, and as we get older, have you noticed that sort of fluctuation in some of your friendships as you've come into your mid-20s? I think so, but I think more so what I've experienced so far is just like, again, I like take a look at my friend group, right? And we're just all of us like in different stages in life. And I think where I have to put in the work, I guess you could say, is like, I just really want to be a good friend to all of them and really meeting them where they're at. Because we're in these different points in our life, I think it's really important to take a look at your friends, not just as like, okay, like we're all the same. And it's like, no, we're all in different points in our life. And that's 100% okay. And like asking yourself, like, how can I support my friend as they're navigating X, Y, and Z? And I think for me, that's kind of what I've seen very prominently in my, honestly, now I can say mid-20s, I'm going to turn 25 in like a month and a half. So mid-20s, that's what I've experienced a lot. And I guess for some people, it could be a challenge, right? Because sometimes you don't know like how to support your friend when they're in this stage in life that you maybe don't have the most experience in. But I think it opens up dialogue like asking your friend like hey like what can I do or doing research on your own sometimes right on like hey like if someone's going through this like what is like commonly appreciated I think it's like just part of being a really good friend because being human and life is just so wild and it's so complicated and ebbs and flows like you said I think the show does a really great job of depicting that because never are these women in the same place (laughs) Not at all. They're very rarely in the same place that you saw them in the last season or the last five episodes for that matter. And I think that's what keeps a part of what keeps the show very exciting. I don't know. I love your perspective on friendship and just the way that it seems like you allow your friendships to evolve and become what they will and try as much as you can not to control the direction that they go in. And that's hard for me, I have to say. Like, I'm a bit of a micromanager when it comes to a lot of things, especially some of my relationships. And so I liked hearing you say that because I I kind of need those reminders that like, you can only come from a place of love and support. And what happens from there is really out of your control. I agree. But also just want to add like, there's an element to that, that like you have to show up, right? I feel like a lot of the time that's where it gets kind of tricky because it's one thing to just be like, oh, I'm just in this stage in life, like can't talk and it's like constant. And I feel like that is like a shorthanded friendship. So I think it's also very important to be weary about stuff like that because you present a valid point. Like it's not always going to be like, I'm going to make excuses for this person because X, Y, Z, right? Like we all have stuff going on in our lives, but people that make it a point to show up in their like friendships or their relationships, like that is what makes them excellent and like real. So there's something to say about that, right? Because you can't just always be saying, oh, I'm busy or oh, this happened, right? And it's like, we're all busy, girl. Like, you know, I think that's when you can decipher what friendships are important to you and which ones you should water. Yeah. I mean, we all got to do something. It's going to be relative because like we can't all do the exact same amount at the same time. But I agree. Yeah. You got to know which ones are actually putting in the work 
to foster that relationship. And I, I think that was a great point to, to add. We do have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is that throughout all of these friendships, I think another prominent theme in the show are the characters' romantic lives and how that both impacts the friendships throughout time and also just like the individual characters. Similar to the question about friendship, how do you feel that Sex in the City tackles romance and relationships? And also, how has it influenced your own perspectives on love and romance as you've gotten a bit older? I love that question because I think because the four characters are so different, they each want different things in their romantic lives. I think the show does a great job of depicting these like challenges in the relationship and also like what is possible, right? So Charlotte, you know, she's very much a romantic, but she's very traditional. And I think with that, she's very idealistic. If things didn't go a certain way, she would very easily be like, that's not for me. She never dreamed that she would end up converting to Judaism and then end up like marrying a Jewish person. I think she had to learn to be less rigid to get to that love of her life, right? And I think we can all be a little bit more open when it comes to romance. So I think her lesson there is like really important. And then, you know, we have someone like Samantha, right? Samantha, you know, she loves like casual sex and she's very empowered by that, which is great to see. But when she does come to a crossroads with her lover, Smith Jared, who wants more of a commitment, she has a problem with it. She's not used to that. And I think when she lets herself be open to commitment, I think we see a wonderful relationship unfold. You know, I think that's an issue in our society. I think a lot of people are scared of commitment. So it's wild that like a show in like the early 2000s also is depicting that. And I think we can learn a lot from Samantha. And then we have Miranda. Miranda, I think for her, she's very quick to write people off. A little bit different from Charlotte. I think Charlotte is more like she holds on to the romance. Miranda is a little bit more skeptical. She's very much like mm, men, you know, and you know, rightfully so. You know, but <laughs> yeah, good reasoning she, a lot of yeah, the time. She kind of like lets that kind of dictate her romance life for a while. There it was pretty touch and go. She was very jaded, and I think when she ended up meeting Steve. It was kind of at first very difficult for her to believe that he was like this pretty cool dude, right? That like wasn't terrible and they were very compatible, right? So I think we can also learn a lot from Miranda of being like, again, open to romance and a little bit of happiness and optimism. I know the world can be very bleak. I understand where she's coming from, but I think it's very lovely to see that and her evolution of being in this relationship and really stepping out of her comfort zone there because she is very skeptical, especially in like the very like early seasons before she meets Steve. You know, Carrie, um, don't know what you think about Carrie and her love life. In my opinion, I think she's a, a great, very diverse character like we definitely need her in the show that's why we watch you know she's so iconic her fashion is so iconic she is just a very important like female character i think in general when you just look at shows right i can't really relate to her because i think she operates on delusion and i don't know i mean i guess it's good to be delusional you know it gets you places sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. yeah 
but for me i i think i find it very difficult to find like a really great like lesson in her romance because i think she does things that i wouldn't do so i don't really relate to it she cheats and then she doesn't take men for their word if there's anything you should know is men are very simple if they tell you something you should believe them she doesn't learn that and i think because she's at her mid-30s it's just very hard for me to personally relate to that but i think a lot of people are like that so i think that's why people honestly as much as they love to hate her are her you know yeah she has a very like every man or every woman sort of character about her right like we are frustrated with the choices that she makes a lot of the times but i think a lot of us can see glimpses of ourselves in her which is why she's such a prolific character but i i agree as you were talking about it i think the other three women have a more distinct easier to articulate arc with romance i'm like okay i can kind of see like what was their journey with losing that idealization that they had around romance and sex and like what their romantic life was going to look like carrie hers felt a little bit more like a wattpad sort of moment like you know what i mean like i just felt that it was kind of this weird like wish fulfillment slash awful slew of situations for the most part she had some good moments too but i'm like what was her journey like what would be like her thing that we're like oh she learned that you know Jalen I I've, I've taken a lot of time to like try and come up with an answer to this I'm gonna circle back to what you said about Carrie I think whether you like to admit it or not I think I've done something that she's done for example and I, I learned my lesson I don't think Carrie really did but I think a huge part of what's relatable to her is like loving someone or liking someone but they don't like you back enough to commit at the moment that is something that a lot of people go through it sucks but you learn your lesson are you I hope a lot of people don't it takes them a while but I can you know sit here and tell you that like at some point in my life, I did experience that, but I did learn. And I think it shaped how I ultimately approached dating from that point on. But I can't sit here and be like, oh, that wasn't me because it was at some point. And Carrie, you know, depicts that. And I think it's very relatable as much as it's painful and cringe. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And she, I guess that could be one takeaway. I don't know that she like masters this, but I think she contends a lot with feelings of like, or or just like discussions about self-worth and value, right? Like as she goes on through the show, she does kind of be like, hmm, like, am I better than this perhaps? And sometimes she says no, and that's disheartening. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? But like, sometimes she says yes. And she's like, I actually do deserve more. She has great moments. I say moments in where she learns a lesson and then I don't know where it went the remaining season like one thing that strikes me the most is when she's trying to rally all the girls to go to Charlotte's birthday trip in Atlantic City and she really makes that happen because she's really realizing that as you get older you really have to put in more effort to coordinate things I thought that was a lovely moment because I think she's realizing that but it really does come from a place of like I just don't have a man right now and it's like we should be feeling that all the time, Carrie, not just when you don't have a relationship or something bigger going on, you know? 
Mm-hmm. But I, I have to say, like you were saying, it, it's oh so relatable. And I will be vulnerable and honest. Like I struggle with that sometimes. I, I'm not necessarily the type to like get totally consumed in a relationship, like in that sense where I'm like, once I'm in something, I'm like, you won't see me for six months. That's <laughs> wild to me. Like, I'm like, yeah. please don't forget the people that, you know, got you to this point and like loved you down throughout all of this. But I can just get so consumed with like thoughts about that person or that situation. And like, it can take you out of being present, especially like in your other relationships. And I think especially women, but I think like as a larger theme, we're taught that romantic relationships should take precedence over your other relationships. And it's really hard to break out of that framework. And so in that way, I can absolutely relate to Carrie. And I was recently watching an episode where she kind of like flakes out on her friends a few times because she's dating the infamous big who perhaps Mm -hmm. we'll get into them, perhaps we won't. But like, she kind of is like, I want to spend time with my man who's no perfect gentleman himself. But (laughs) look, I have had friends that have done that. And I've done that on occasion myself. So I guess I get it. Yeah, absolutely. I think Carrie, she's so perfectly imperfect. I think she's the perfect person on this show to be the main character. I think because she gets us talking, like, look at us right now. Many, many years have gone by since that show has aired. And the discourse is so relevant to this day. And I think a lot of that is brought on by Carrie and like her shortcomings. And if that's her purpose, then I think it's a great one. Because I think Mm -hmm. there's nothing like a character that's like perfectly imperfect to like get us talking about like really important topics like friendships relationship dynamics you know Mm -hmm. she is the epitome of a main character and i think when you look at a show especially a show that's like an ensemble of of women you wonder like who is the carry of this cast right like who is going to be that character and we were talking about this i think the narration helps to establish her as the main character but also like yeah, just the wide array of stuff that she gets in too. I think most, more people can relate to that than Absolutely. maybe one of the other characters who are more like, I wouldn't say one note, right? They're all very nuanced characters, but like they have more of a particular arc that they're trying to depict in the show. Whereas Carrie kind of gets to do a little bit more, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. I think with her character too, like, I just think, like, her antics, too. Like, they're so, like, what is this? But I'm so intrigued. Like, I cannot look away, you know? She centers herself, and she makes every experience intriguing. I really admire that about her character. Something I did want to talk to you about, and really how it relates to the characterization of each of the four women, is the fashion within the show. And I'm like, I'd be remiss to not bring this up because that is so integral to how people know you, Carolina, is like somebody that appreciates fashion and has incorporated it into their life in such a meaningful way. And so I knew that a show like Sex and the City that prioritizes fashion, not only is like 
you know, statement pieces and just beautiful things to see, but as like meaningful parts of the way that each of these characters are portrayed and interpreted by the audience. So I'm curious for you, how did you take all of these characters and the way that they're dressed? How did their styles evolve over the course of the show? Get into all of that with me. So I recently read Patricia Fields' memoir. And for those of you who don't know, Patricia Fields is a very iconic costume designer, stylist. She very famously styled all the characters in Sex and the City. So when I was reading her memoir and I was doing more research on her, also fun fact, she did all the styling for Ugly Betty. So yeah i think that's probably gonna be our next uh, episode so (laughs) put a pin in that yes so one thing that she said that i was like you know i need to pull this is she said quote we were telling the stories and showcasing the characters through the way they dress it's a storytelling situation and my god did she accomplish that so like we mentioned very early in the episode sex in the city you think it's so iconic because of the content of the show but also the styling of the show carrie bradshaw's style is like very iconic people google it to this day like carrie bradshaw inspiration i would say carrie and samantha and even Charlotte, all of them, actually. I think Miranda maybe is the one that doesn't get as much love. <laughs> Her style is very um, corporate-centered. It's more traditional in the sense of, like, she doesn't really play with too many accessories. She doesn't really wear a lot of revealing clothing. Charlotte also doesn't, but she herself has a very, like, girly and, like, sophisticated but simple style but going back to Carrie Bradshaw I think her being the main character and also having this like eclectic but simple wardrobe I think really did a lot for the show and I think all the characters the way they dress I think speaks to their personality I haven't touched on Samantha but Samantha on the show for those of you who haven't watched you know she's very spunky she's very fiery she's very confident and what she wears I think reflects that she wears a lot of bold colors really nice statement jewelry and she also wears like you know very nice and revealing clothing and I think it just shows like who she is like her personality like she's not shying away from you know being the center of attention or being confident in what she is and like who she is and what she represents um so the fashion I think we look back at this show many many years after it has aired and because I think Patricia Fields made it a point to like really also work with Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker herself, she said, is really into fashion. And she herself, I think, is a fashion icon. And it shows because I think she cared about curating a certain type of style for Carrie that wasn't just like boring and like whatever. We're not giving any thought to what she's wearing. Even down to certain episodes where I feel like the choice and designer that she's wearing is just very like, wow, it's it's relating to the plot, you know, because an episode that's very prominent is like a moment where Carrie Bradshaw iconically wears the newspaper print John Galliano dress by Dior. And she's confronting Big's ex-wife. And this is someone that, you know, she had an affair while Big was married to this woman named Natasha. And Natasha's wearing like a very traditional like pink dress. It's very reminiscent of 1920s Dior looks and I think seeing the contrast of 
they're kind of wearing the same design style but like very different approaches to it I think speaks to like you know Carrie here is you know being the center of attention and causing a media frenzy she's literally wearing this newspaper dress that just screams like controversy in a way right and she just had an affair and is confronting the woman that is bearing the brunt of the affair and I think when you're on quote-unquote the victim side of like having an affair right you know, she's wearing this very dainty, very feminine look. And I think it's an episode that I just always think about because the styling, if you like really care about it and like pay attention to it, I think it's like very subtly like excellent. You can't look away at what they're wearing, at least for me. The archival pieces that you see on there are just like, wow. And also I think to myself, oh my gosh, this is so aspirational. There's no way you have that many Dior saddlebags or you have this many Milona Blodic shoes in your closet. And it's like a carry thing for the most part because she herself, she centers herself around being like, I'm a fashionista. I think more so than all the other girls in the group. Not saying that they don't appreciate fashion, you know, but Carrie is just that girl. And I think many, many years after this show has aired, we're still talking about how she dressed, I think speaks volumes to like how the curation of the show and like what the characters wore was very intentional. And I think it's a beautiful thing because I think so much of what we wear is an extension of like who we are and like our choices. Absolutely. And I think that somebody like you and, and other fashion lovers that watch this show are like really able to sit with how much our fashion senses can tell us about ourselves and how we feel about ourselves, how we like to project, you know, a certain image out into the world. And like, I don't know, I'm reminded of that scene from The Devil Wears Prada where I can't remember the, is it Andy is, I think is the main character. Yes. Uh, she kind of like comments on like the two different types of blue or something like that. And it's very yes. non-essential for her. Like she doesn't really give it much of a thought and she kind of like laughs at it a little bit. You know, people have their thoughts about that scene, but I feel like it brings that point home of like fashion and whether you're consciously thinking about it, whether you're trying to be meaningful about it, it does have an impact on your everyday life. And I, I don't think about it as much as, as maybe you would, but that newspaper dress is, in my opinion, like one of the most iconic fashion-related moments of the show. And I, I think it does say a lot about Carrie at that moment. Everything about her is, is out in the open in that moment. She's extremely vulnerable and raw. And that's a big part of her character is that she kind of like, throws it all out there and it's chaotic and it's messy and it's contrasted against Natasha's very conservative, reserved style. And I just thought that was brilliant, the way that they contrasted those two. Yes. And for those of you who, you know, don't follow like fashion or anything like that at the time, right? I think Carrie's character is polarizing because she just participated knowingly in an affair. And at the time, that's a dress that was made under the creative direction of John Galliano. And at the time, John Galliano was a very polarizing figure in fashion. He made a lot of controversial like choices, not only in like the direction in which he took 
Dior as a brand, but also just like the stuff he would say was very controversial and rightfully so. So I think it was just like a really great like pairing, like the creator of the dress that she's wearing literally at the same time was also a polarizing figure in fashion. And I think Carrie as a character was very polarizing to the audience then and now for whoever's going to watch now or in the future you get to that point in sex and city and you really start making opinions on her like what do you think about what she did because it is a very like polarizing thing that she participated in you know yeah it kind of puts out there like everybody gets to have an opinion on this and it's going to be different uh but the point is to start a discussion about it and Boy, have we discussed. I think we all kind of have our own unique take on like how that situation was handled. And Lord, I don't even know if I want to get into it right now because um, it's, it's a bit of a doozy. For sure. I think that this is a good segue, though, into one of the final topics that I wanted to bring up, which is a doozy in itself. And so I'll start with just like a light starter question about like seeing yourself in these characters. Which of the four women do you feel like you resonate with the most? Are you a Carrie, a Miranda, a Charlotte, a Samantha, or something of a hybrid between any of those characters? It's got to be like one of my favorite questions, especially amongst those of us that have watched the show, right? I think, and I think most of my friends or anyone that truly knows me would agree. Uh, I'm a hybrid. I am a hybrid between Miranda and Charlotte. Hmm. Yeah. And I'll explain why I think myself in a hybrid position with the characters. So Miranda, you know, she's very like the sense of organization and like structure that she craves is something that I really crave in my life and that I choose to implement. There's just certain things that I'm not willing to like compromise on and I think I can relate to that element of Miranda I don't think any of the other characters have that so I think for me when I see that I'm like I'm sorry but like that is such a Miranda thing that I have like I I love like structure I love organization and I like putting myself in a position where I can control not everything because life is not you know you can only control what you can control but I always want to like execute that to the best of my ability and I think you see that a lot in Miranda and then Charlotte I'm Charlotte because I think I'm I honestly I'm very much an optimist I don't think I'm a pessimist at all and I think I see myself in Charlotte in that way especially like romantically like I think I choose to give people the benefit of the doubt, even though sometimes that might not be the best thing to do. But I think it's a great quality to have because not everything is black and white. And I think Charlotte shows us that. I think it shows us like what it's like to sit down and like actually like listen and take things for what they are. And sometimes it's not black and white. And I think another thing that I see myself, it's not the best quality that Charlotte has, but I have to say, I'm working on this, but I feel like I'm such an idealist. If something isn't like ideal, I kind of like panic. I'm like, oh my God, what do you mean? Like, you know what I mean? And I think Charlotte deals with that in the show. She very much has like an idea of what her life wants to be. And I can't sit here and be like, I don't ever think about that. I do. You know, it's important to make sure that you have like things that you want to achieve, 
but you cannot harp on the way in which you achieve them, the time frame. Like I always have to remind myself about that because to live on other people's timelines or what society tells you isn't a way to live. And I think Charlotte ends up, you know, really accepting that. And I think I'm in a better place about stuff like that. So that's why I think I'm both. <laughs> I absolutely can see that. And to your point about the, you know, the last little bit that you said, um, I think what you're getting at is like detaching from the outcome, which I also really struggle with, I should say. How do you, I mean, you said you've gotten a little bit better with sort of doing that. What is, what does that look like for you? Because I think I need tips and advice. Kaylin, that is the perfect way to say it. Detaching yourself from the outcome of, wow, I needed to sit with that for a minute. You have to enjoy the journey. You can't do things because of the outcome. I think that's what I'm learning. And I think for me, it's not to get like super like deep and like morbid, but like life, it's really precious. Why not appreciate the journey and the trials and the tribulation that it took for you to get to an end goal? I think being obsessed with like how the journey is going to go is so exhausting. And I think once you realize that and you just let it be, right, not all the way just let things happen. No, I'm not like a fan of that, but being able to just be like, okay, I have a goal, right? And the way in which I'm going to achieve said goal, it might not even work out how I think it's going to work out. And that's fine. Being comfortable with that is like so difficult because I used to really struggle with that. I used to be very like disgusted at myself if I didn't achieve something the way that I wanted to achieve it. As I get older, I just appreciate like life more. I don't know how how to better phrase that because I think all we have is time and why am I going to harp on myself about the journey, right? When it's like yeah. the journey, even though it sometimes sucks, I had to experience that to get ultimately whatever it is that I want. And it sounds really corny, but it's so true. Sometimes corny shit is like the best shit. Yeah. I mean, that's there. There's a reason why it's so played out and used because it's like, it's true on some level. The journey is like the majority of the time that we spend in our lives. Like there's yes. something to be said about relishing in once you finally reach whatever that end point is. But usually like after a few days or a few weeks, months, whatever, like you set a new goal. And so then like the journey becomes getting to that. So like the journey is like most of the time that we spend. So I completely agree. I think that's a big thing to focus on. For me, how I relate to the characters, I'd like to be a hybrid of them. And I, I'm maybe going to entertain that idea, though I think I'm like mostly resonant with one. I, I identify with Miranda the most. Ooh. You know, yeah, I think like the, the image that I project out is like very important to me. And I want to be seen as somebody that is fairly put together and organized enough. I do have some work to do in that regard in 2024 in terms of like actually managing my life like a little bit more regimented. And that's a goal for me. I want to be that strong support system, not only for my friends and my my family, but like for myself too. I want to be like a tree. The leaves may rustle a little bit like that happens, but like I am firmly rooted and I see a lot of that in Miranda and her integrity. I think that grounds a lot of her decision making and sometimes it makes it to where she's not following her heart and doing things that make her feel happy and I got to work on that too. But it seems to like do 
decently well for her, at least in terms of like securing her financial stability and the personal security that she's looking for. What What do you think? I agree. Miranda, you know, you see Miranda is just, I love her. I think she's one of my favorite characters, actually. You said integrity. And I was like, yeah, she just wants to do what is like right for her. And that's very excellent. Some people don't look out for themselves the way Miranda does, right? But I think where her like character has to really like learn, and I'm so glad that she does, is that sometimes, like you said, you have to follow your heart. What do you feel right now? And that can be right. Like your gut can be right sometimes. Her gut, she just has the worst time with it. Like she doesn't trust it and she doesn't allow herself to trust it. And I think when she learns to do that and she lets Steve in, it's like, wow, you see Miranda, the things that can happen when you like actually lean into how you feel. Yeah. Oh man, that's a really good point because I think like she's learned to trust her professional acumen and that side of herself. She has like a really good gut feeling about and she's able to manage that really well. And I think she had to learn throughout the show that like there's another part of your gut that is rooted in your heart and is like soft and mushy and sweet sometimes. And like you can develop some self-trust in that too. And so she started to feel more secure there. I mean, We've seen some of the reboot as well. That's a whole different conversation about that and her romantic trajectory, but maybe we'll save that for a bonus episode in the future. I also see a little bit of Samantha in myself too, not in terms of like her, her actions all the time, but like just in the way that she's willing and encourages the other girls to like question things and be like, okay, well, why though do we do it this way? Like you're saying this is like the appropriate way to handle your life, but why and like if this is making me happy and i'm healthy and i'm okay why cannot this way be appropriate for me i love samantha i feel like a lot of my friends have samantha in them so i feel like i feel very comforted by her it sounds weird but like i think you bring up a great point she's very supportive of outside of the box but with like good measure ideas and like things right like and i think she does encourage the girls to like think differently and I think that's such a fresh thing about her and a fresh perspective and I can't even imagine at the time when it aired people hearing this it must have been like so wild but yeah I I I do see that in you I do see that hybrid honestly thank you yeah yeah I was like let's try let's entertain it I think I'm mostly Miranda but I was like let's see if I can see myself in some of the others and I definitely do just less so but I wanted to start off this segment with that question, because I think one thing that Sex in the City does really well is like allowing the audience to sort of like see themselves in the characters and the situations and really like escape into those lifestyles. We talked a little bit about how we're not from the generation that these women were raised in. We're not even like the age that they were when the show started or when it ended. We're not their race. We're not their ethnicity. We're not their socioeconomic class. Like there's so many ways in which we are not in any way related to them. But there is something about being able to imagine yourself in such a different set of circumstances. So I'm hoping that you'll talk about that for a little bit too. Like seeing yourself in a situation that's not like yours at all. And what did that mean for you? Yeah, I think the show is so aspirational. And 
personally for me like I don't mind consuming like aspirational and like escapist type of media I love fashion I love high fashion you think I can afford that no I don't feel a certain type of way flipping through magazines and being like oh my gosh I can't afford that if anything like my first thought is like wow this is so beautiful I admire the craft and the technique if I'm inspired by this like how can I incorporate this into like my wardrobe obviously not at that cost you know and I feel like for me I feel the same way with like watching sex in the city right like I don't feel a certain type of way about the fact that like I will never live the lifestyle that they lead right it's very much out of my tax bracket at the moment but it's just so fun it's so like fun to escape and like see their everyday lives and their little antics drinking cocktails every meal i swear to god i don't ever see these women cook very rarely do we see these women cook and i'm like so fun like i just don't get like offended or like feel any kind of animosity towards that i think the reason why it's not polarizing to me because it's like they go through human experiences that i've seen and that i've experienced and i think i hold on to that it's like wow even though these women are like living this very lavish lifestyle they still go through these like relationship issues and like family stuff and friendship stuff so I think that's like really nice to watch I don't know I just love it I just I don't get put off by media consumption that way I understand why some people can see it and be like I can't relate it's like okay you know that's that's fair but to me it's like the combination of like their aspirational lifestyle which is so fun for me to watch and they're like very relatable human experiences that makes the show so excellent to me i completely agree and to your point i think that it actually makes those more grounded just relatable moments all the more poignant because it's like you can get very detached in some ways because you're like yeah i'm not going to be doing anything like these characters And then something very real and normal and down to earth will happen. And it's like, I really can relate to that. You know what I mean? So it makes it all the more meaningful in that way. I also resonate with that idea of, I don't really need to see myself represented in the media that I consume. And I think for both of us being people of color, maybe that's just by virtue of the fact that we're just not seen as much. I think there's been a lot of progress that has been made arguably so in terms of the reboot that's been going on for the past few years and I do want to have your take on that too but like yeah it's not as common for us to be so holistically depicted in tv and movies so it's like cool I mean just another show about like white people like I'm into white people mess that's entertaining to me so I'll eat this up but I guess it's like one of my closing questions to you And I guess I already have some of your answer, but like, do you think that a show like Sex and the City needs to be, quote unquote, diverse, um, especially its reboot in the modern day to capture the modern audience? Do you think that it's necessary? And also, what do you think makes Sex and the City timeless, despite how particular its worldview is in the original show, at least? You know, the reboot is a whole beast in and of itself, right? But what I will say is that their attempt to like diversify the list of characters, it just doesn't seem organic. And it doesn't seem organic because look at these women. They are upper middle class, right? I guess, you know, very much high up there in their tax bracket, I would say. Mm -hmm. 
white women, they live in a New York that is very much that. They're not going to interact with people of color because their social and their economic circles don't have those types of people in in those circles. So like, why would they go out of their way to, to do that, right? And I think people always bring that up. They're always like, oh my God, they live in New York City. And like, why don't they have a Black friend or like a person of color? And it's like, it's very easy for them not to because they they run in those circles. So I think when you see the reboot, it's like all of a sudden you have this this friend that's this race and like all this stuff. It just doesn't seem authentic. Why are we kidding ourselves? A lot of white affluent people are not friends with people of color or like non-affluent people in general. For me, it's important to be realistic about that. And I think that's the reason why in the show, in the original show, you don't see that. And as much as we would love for them to have a diverse set of friends that's like very organic and like true, it's just not happening. And I think it's a reality. Those people don't run in those circles. So it just doesn't make sense that they would be having such a diverse friend group. Yeah, I am completely there with you. And I feel like my answer would be like, that's why the original show is kind of timeless is because like, it doesn't claim to be anything that it's not. It, it's a show about four upper middle class white women navigating life and friendship and romantic relationships. And it's just that. And if you yeah. can accept, if you can accept that for what it is, it's like, yeah, you can watch that really at any time of your life and, and just like, any year and it still can hit some of the necessary beats that it needs to to be like impactful to the viewer whereas now i do personally feel like the reboot is gonna feel very of its moment and sex in the city the original show does too in its own way but like i don't know how we're gonna reflect back on the attempts at making the concept of sex in the city more diverse i'm not i'm not sure but i don't have the highest hopes yeah I agree 100%. I just feel like you took the words out of my mouth. I'm glad to see that we're kind of aligned in that way. It, it would have been okay if we disagreed. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's a sentiment that I have about a lot of like modern adaptations of old works and, you know, revivals and reboots and stuff like that. It is important to contend with the way that the world around the characters have changed. And I think that there could have been some sort of way for remaining characters of, of the show that are on the reboot to think about like their positionality and like what that means. But honestly, I could have been okay with them not even doing that. I don't know. Um, that's an alternate universe that we just won't get to experience. But yeah, I want to say in closing, I appreciate you endlessly for talking to me about this amazing show. And I wanted to ask you, what are some closing words that you have that can speak to Sex and the City's impact on you as a person and really on society at large? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure to talk about this show and like just media in general. I think it's such a great podcast that you have going on here. I think Sex and the City, it's a show that like we've said throughout the whole time we've been speaking about this show, categorically speaking, don't really have a lot of things in common with these characters. But I think it's a show that has a beautiful blend of everyday experiences that people and like women go through 
that you see in these characters and you see them learn a lot of the time and you see them develop into women and like values that they maybe just didn't think in the beginning of the show that they would ever have. And I think that's such a great depiction of just life in general. And I think the combination of like the incredible styling of the show, the fashion and just like the aspirational element of it. And I think that combination makes the show like so unique and it's a show that I feel like it's timeless. I think it will be watched by many, many generations. I also feel like it's a show, I will I will say, it's a show that is like, when I talk to like straight men about it, they're like, women watch that show and like, it's iconic. Like they even know that. Like it's that type of show. When I've had like straight male friends watch it, they love it. They're like, this is fun. And I'm like, yeah, hop on. It sparks so many great conversations about those topics. And I think once you hit a certain age, those things are very pertinent in your life. And it's really fun to see a show that like really does center those topics. Absolutely. I'm grateful that this show exists. And I'm especially grateful that you came on and shared with me your love and appreciation for this show. I think it gave me a different lens to look at it through. And I'm excited to watch it again. I'll probably yeah. take a little bit of a break. For sure. <laughs> girls are annoying me. <laughs> but they have a way of bringing me back. So sure. I, I love that. That is, that is such a great sentence. Like that, <laughs> show, yeah, for sure. But thank you so much again and stay tuned because we are heading right into ad break. All right. And we are back. Welcome to ad break. Are you ready, Carolina? Yes. Okay, cool. Let's hop right into it. Question one, what would you title the current episode of your life right now and why? I would say coming into myself. I think I'm at a point in my life where a lot of the elements are just really like blossoming. And I feel like because they are, I'm learning more about myself and like people always tell me that that like as you get older you learn more about yourself I feel like at a certain point in my life that kind of felt like it was on a standstill I was like really like I don't know what am I really learning about myself but I think because there's certain elements in my life that are new I'm just really at a point where I'm just like really learning more about who I am and like what I want so I think that's what I would title the episode of my life right now I mean that kind of gave me some inspiration for what I might call this episode of my life because I'm okay. starting to be like really intentional about it and I have some like behind the scenes reasons for why this is like a, my utmost priority right now but like trying to center yourself and like have a genuine curiosity about who you are and and what you're interested in like what's a way in which you like try to do that being genuinely like hmm, what is Carolina into right now like what do I want to maybe explore more or try more or what does that look like for you absolutely I think I asked myself that especially with like how I want to spend my time outside of work right because we all have to work unfortunately and who I am outside of that is like what I really want to prioritize and some things when I 
think of the responses, I'm like, okay, I want to do this, right? And it's like something that I love from my childhood and like really like coming and leaning into that in my adulthood life has been like really impactful for me. Those are like moments where I'm like, okay, like the things that I think about in my childhood that I loved are still things that I love. And I think leaning into that is like really important, but also there are new things that I want to try and new things that I want to experience. And I think that involves always like being in tune with that part of who you are. And sometimes it presents like you have to ask yourself questions like, who are you in this moment, you know? Yeah, I I like that answer a lot Um, because it can feel like a loaded question. Like, what do I like? It's like, okay, I don't I don't know, but I'm trying to approach it in the same way that I would approach like a new friendship or a new romantic relationship. Like you're not going to know this person immediately, even if it's yourself. You got to give the relationship room to breathe and develop naturally. And I'm saying this to myself because I'm like hitting a stroke of genius right now after hearing you. So thank you for answering that. I love that. Okay, question two. How has your taste in media evolved over time? And do you see any through lines between your current taste and that of your younger self? I kind of touched on this in the beginning of the podcast. I think because we now have access to like streaming and all of these platforms, I think my taste is just kind of expanded like I just watch more movies I watch more shows and things of that nature but I think my taste is very much the same I love like drama shows like I haven't deviated from that I love reality tv unfortunately especially reality tv that's about like relationships even though some of them are so cringe I I just love watching stuff like that you know a lot of that is just with like access so like once I got access to more media I think that's when I started to develop like my taste in that regard and I think in terms of like my younger self I think I've always kind of been someone that like again like I mentioned like I love like print media that hasn't really changed for me like I still feel like that's something that I value and I cherish and feeds into the hobby that I've had since I was younger I love collaging like digitally and also like physically so that hasn't really changed for me and it's like a piece of you know it's facilitated by this piece of media that I have consumed since I was like young and that hasn't really changed for me I feel like I haven't really deviated too much like in terms of the genres and like themes that I like to see maybe I will one day but like right now I feel like I'm not that's not me you know yeah I I completely see where you're coming from and hey I always say if it ain't broke there's nothing to fix then so (laughs) I totally support that Um, And that kind of leads as a nice segue into this last question, which is what's something that you would tell your younger self, whether it's the version that first started watching Sex and the City or the one that was, you know, falling in love with collaging for the first time? Like, what is important for younger Carolina to know? I love this question. I think that one of the biggest lessons I've learned in life is like, don't take rejection personally. I think rejection, it's not a nice feeling. And I think when I was younger, I used to take it extremely personally. I saw it as like a shortcoming of myself. Like that was my immediate thought. And I think when you get rejected from like a person or like a job or like an opportunity, I think seeing it as like that just wasn't for me or, you know, maybe I need to be better, but not harping on it where you see it as like a shortcoming on who you are and your worth is like something that I wish my younger self knew because I think when you harp on it a little bit too much you can get really down and it puts you in a position of like being in this like honestly really nasty funk 
let yourself be sad about it for a day maybe and then just like let's get it going you know because it's so easy to feel so frustrated and I understand that because I was there right but when it gets to the point where you're like questioning who you are and like your worth that's when it just gets so unhealthy and I just wish I never you know spent time with those thoughts and it's a huge lesson that I had to learn and I'm so glad that I learned it goodness gracious yeah that is like been a big part of my story as well like kind of figuring out like okay how can I deal with you know experiencing rejection without making it a reflection upon me what's interesting and maybe you can relate is like this shows up regardless of whether you're being rejected or not because the fear of being rejected from either a relationship or an experience like you were saying like is still going to be there and like it's just fascinating to me that like even if you're in a good situation or something like you still have to reckon with like what if something changes one day like what if things don't go the way that I would hope Um, or if I am rejected you know after becoming invested and caring that's very scary but I think it's necessary work like you said to like sit with it and realize that it has nothing to do with you more often than not like it's just a sign that yeah maybe something is not aligned with you and that there's something better that's coming your way I agree 100%. You're so wise and insightful and (laughs) all the good things. And I'm so grateful to you once again for gracing us with your presence here on Retrospection Connection. I'm going to let you go, but thank you for being such an excellent guest. And yeah, I hope to do this again with you soon. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Can't wait for it. Absolutely. All right. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye.